two, three. Are you guys together or are you just just worked out? <laughs> yeah. Or are you together now? Mm -hmm. So how did you how did you hear about us? I heard about us heard about US cities too. Through who? But um I'm sorry, I've never met Govinda At the at the university? Mm -hmm. Ah, yeah. Fabulous. And you? You're coming here. I met up to recently. Yeah. And I'm just I've been coming here for a while. Yeah, glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. And what's your excuse? <laughs> Um, yes, I learned from Matchwood. I've been coming here recently on someone who shared He has that effect on people, doesn't he? Does. Yes. Yeah. yeah, very good. So, what is your name? Sergey. Sergey? Sergey? Mm -hmm. Sergey, yes. Oh, I met you Sunday. Yes, you did. Yeah, now I remember. Something's a little different about you. Mm. Or, you know, I, I'm old. I, I got to know those people, you know. <laughs> It'll happen to you, too. So don't worry. And what is your name? I'm Shane. Shane? And you? Michelle. Michelle. Shane, Michelle, and Sergey. Sergey is a Russian spy. <laughs> you know, he's here to impenetrate the United States. Is that he actually worked? His last thing he did was he was working on Donald Trump's reelection. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he's in a good disguise. He just forgot to change his name. He left the Russian name. So. <laughs> oh, that, I like that name. I've got some. some I have many friends in Russia. Many. I want to go one day. I still never been. Yeah, maybe we'll go together. I'm going to go. I've been invited for a long time, and um, you know, I never have gone. So I want to. Can I get something to put this on? So, no. Did you put the salt in it? Ah. So we're going to talk about changing your inner world. Wow, what does that mean? And why should I need to change my inner world? Uh, to quote Mahatma Gandhi, uh, who cares what Gandhi said anyway? No, he was a smart guy. Um, be the change that you want to see in the world. So, uh, can you pass out the writing instruments and some paper? Because I want you to do some. What we like to do here is you write down questions that you have. And so you can write down your questions, but I have two questions for all of you. And if you will, write your names down. And it's going to be uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Confidential, yes, anonymous. anonymous. Yes. Confidentially anonymous. We won't reveal whose it is. It doesn't matter. Plus, something that, as you think, it's uh, we're, we're probably all thinking. We find out uh, as we go along through life how much we have in common, even though we may appear to be very different. We have so much in common. <laughs> 
and we'll get to that later. Uh, <clears throat> so, one question I have for you is, what changes would you like to see in the world? Now, I mean, you could write volumes, but please don't. And if you want to, you just write, the first thing that you write is the one I'm going to go, and you can write as many as you want, because some of us feel there's a lot that we need to change. So first, that's the first one. What changes do you want in the world? Secondly, what changes do you want to see in yourself? So think about it. You don't have, we're not going to collect them right now. You can think about it for a few minutes. We're going to pick them up, you know, towards the end. So you can kind of, and if you have any other questions or comments, please feel free to jot them down. What so, was the second question you were there? Uh, what changes, changes or change do you want to see in yourself? In yourself. So what, what changes do you want to see in the world? What changes do you want to see in yourself? Okay. Yeah. So think about that. It is, you're right. The Vinamata is right. This is, uh, this, it's, these are deep thoughts. Uh, Krishna Kova is a place that come to get deep. A lot of times, you know, if you're, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I've had it a lot. But you get in a group of people and you start getting into deep questions about life and reality and whatever. And very soon someone will say, well, it's getting pretty deep here. Meaning, I don't want to think like this, you know. I just, well, can't we order another round? You know, or gee, was the movie's about to start, or you know, for some reason, I don't want to go that far. My mind doesn't want to work on that. We we kind of like to do that here. Get deep, think, get in touch with you. You know, so uh, all right. I made myself some notes, and I'm going to try to follow them tonight. Usually, I don't. I mean, I kind of do, but. Uh, I mean, I probably won't, but um, I'm trying to be disciplined with follow my notes. So, we change our world by changing our inner world. If we don't change ourselves, then how can we make an impact on the world? Unless you may think, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I'm already perfect. Duh, can't you tell? I mean, one glance, you should be able to tell that I'm, I'm already perfect. You ever heard anybody say, uh, <clears throat> I want to find somebody who loves me for who and what I am? Well, that, I can understand that feeling. But think a little deeper. Are you saying that you are so perfect that there is no room for improvement and that maybe you wouldn't like to encounter someone who could help you go to those higher stages of you? You see? Unless you feel, well, there isn't anybody that can help me because, you know, like I said, I'm already the best person and the most perfect. And we don't really think like that. You see? So, and for me to think that there is somebody who can help me uh, become a better person, I have to admit that maybe they're a better person, you see, or maybe they know something that I don't 
no. And so I don't like that. My ego says, that doesn't feel good to say that. I'd rather say, I'd rather have someone tell me, oh, you're the perfect person. I'm so imperfect. Please mend me. Please fix me. And then you're going to think, gosh, you're needy. I just don't want to, I don't really want to associate with anybody like you. You see what I mean? So what I'm saying is that we have to, uh, first of all, come to grips with and be honest with ourselves that perhaps we could use a bit of a tidying up, you see, and that we are a work in progress. I love that term. You're a work in progress, you see. Now, uh, and another question I have for you, this is a yes or no question. Do you think perfection within yourself is achievable? Can you become perfect? Uh, some people think, oh, wait a minute, are you saying I can become Jesus Christ? I'm not, that's not the question. But is it possible, even remotely possible, in some way to become perfect? So think about those. All right, back to, back to the show. Um, you know, we have to change our inner world. Making a change in ourselves always requires an austerity to make the change happen. What is an austerity? Like a sacrifice, like a penance. Penance, yeah. It kind of like if I'm way out of shape and I want to get toned, then my austerities, I go to the gym and I work out. You know, they say no pain, no gain. Well, I'm willing to invest some uncomfortable moments into getting something that's really good for me. I will benefit by a little bit of discomfort. You see, I'm willing to accept that. That's an austerity. If I want to lose weight, I go on a diet. You see, that's an austerity. If you have certain diseases, you're required to go on a particular diet. You have to learn. Actually, up until you get some sort of a disease, or unless you just want to prevent, there's some thing, there are some things that you can do to prevent disease, like balanced diet, certain things like that. But when you get a certain disease, then certain diets are absolutely required. You have to kind of learn a little bit about nutrition when those things happen. I mean, you, you don't have to, but it sure would be smart to learn. If I eat this, what happens when my body processes it? So that's an austerity, because I'd rather just eat whatever the heck I see. You know, it smells good, it looks good. Gee whiz, this is good. Zoom, let's start to eat it. So you get to a point where <clears throat> I want a, a, a different outcome, so I'll do an austerity, you know, to get that outcome. You see what I mean? So to get changes within ourselves, we have to, we have to uh, perform some austerity to do that. To change our inner world requires austerity of the body. You have to become austere. 
like when you work out, you know, that's an austere. So you, there are certain austerities that relate to the body that you have to perform. If you're going to change your inner world, you may be thinking, what does my body have to do with my inner world? And we'll get to that. Um, you have to perform austerities in speech. Wait a minute. What does speech have to do with me changing my inner world? Huh? And of course, austerities within the mind. I have to make my mind uh, perform differently uh, if I want changes. You see, if I want to make these changes to get the desired result, uh, I have to have certain disciplines. Austerity, discipline is an austerity. It's uh, without austerity, you're just doing whatever you want to do without discipline. But to achieve anything, there must be discipline. Like if you're in sports, business, school, you know, you have to have disciplines to it. So these disciplines of the, uh, of the body, disciplines of your speech, what it, what, what it is that you say, that you will allow yourself to say. And these austerities of the body and speech are related to the austerity or um, discipline within the mind. So if we can learn how to do that, we can advance. I sound like Tony Robbins, don't I? <laughs> you know? You'll find very much, you know, of, of our philosophies very much in keeping self-help. I mean, this is true self-help, isn't it? Because we're helping the self. You know. So uh, what is this wonderful tea that you've got here? Is this that ginger turmeric tea? Oh man. This has got to be good for me. Pardon me, I'm a little under the weather. Well, I'm not. I'm just, just old. <laughs> you know. So, and like I said, it's going to happen to you. So, if you're lucky. <laughs> no, it's really good. <laughs> You could make it. I was thinking you weren't going to come there for a while. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> I didn't like missing last week. I was thinking, my God, was it something I said? Um, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> just, give me, just give me time. All right, so where do we get this knowledge that we need? We're talking about changing our inner world. Not changing our inner right? world. Yeah. yeah, we all need that. So where do we get this knowledge? Well, we can go to, to someone who might not have perfect knowledge, but it might be really good knowledge. And so it might help us. But we can go to someone who has perfect knowledge, the source of knowledge. We can go to, to God himself. We can go to the Supreme. In his words, he's already said this in this wonderful book, um, Bhagavad Gita. Have any of you, anybody here not heard Bhagavad Gita? 
Have you ever, ever heard of it? Bhagawan uh, means uh, God. Bhagawan means one who is perfect in all opulences, beauty, strength, knowledge. It's a good name for God. Uh, God has innumerable names. He's unlimited, so he has unlimited names. They all describe his beauty and his wonder and strength and so many things. So Bhagawan means the perfect, all beautiful, all knowledgeable one. And Gita is song. So Bhagavad Gita is the song of God. And it's uh, 700 verses, give or take, maybe a couple more than that. And it's, uh, it's a discussion between uh, Krishna, one of God's names. Krishna means the most beautiful, all attractive, all loving one, most approachable, most desirable. That's what Krishna means. So uh, people like Thoreau, Emerson, Einstein, Oppenheimer, uh, if you find big names, this book is over 5,000 years old. Uh, if you find big, big names in history, if you look somewhere, you'll see in their library, the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, high thinkers have, have gone to Bhagavad Gita for thousands of years because it's got some secrets that we really need to know. It's higher knowledge. So it's not mundane knowledge. So some, some uh, scriptures are different. This is a direct conversation from Krishna. And he's in a really good mood, you know? Some people ask me, what's the difference between your God, like I've got a God and you have a God, you know? How many gods are there? What's the difference between your God and the God in the Bible? God in the Old Testament. And I say, well, no, they're the same thing. It's just that the Bhagavad Gita is he's in a whole lot better mood. <laughs> you know, that gets laughs even from my Christian friends. I've got some really close Christian friends for many, many years. And they're not casual. They're lifelong. They're even what, what you would call Bible thumpers. But we're dear friends, and so they let me get away with a lot. <laughs> I ask them, this one dear friend I have, long, many years, I say, you know, his name is Barry. I said, Barry, we'll sit and argue friendly, you know, sometimes for hours. I stay at his house when I go through Dallas. And uh, his wife is a really nice devotee of Krishna. So I say, Barry, do you think I'm going to go to hell? <laughs> the first time I asked him that, he almost got into tears. And he said, I just don't say, I don't see hi, how, Jeeve, I don't see... I don't see how God could put somebody like you in hell. That's just not possible. I said, so then you're breaking your philosophy. And he, he, you know, he said, look, look, let, we'll talk about this the next time you come through. You know, but I don't, I don't want to go any further. You know, or, no, I, no. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, I don't fit the qualifications according to what you say, but yet you say I'm not, there's no way. Anyway, so, you know, uh, I feel that I'm already in hell. This is hell. You know, this material world uh, 
is a place where you come when you're embodied. You know, uh, you, the soul, become embodied. You take a material body. So what does that mean? A lot of suffering, right? <laughs> Mentally and physically. You know, when you're young, uh, there's not as much physical suffering, but there's a lot of mental anxiety. You know, as you grow up, especially when you, well, all through grade school, puberty, you know, and this and that, and starting out in life, starting a family. And then when you have teenagers, there's <laughs> that pain. <laughs> Did you have any teenagers? Did you raise any? How many? Three. Hey, uh, I, I did four. All of your friends in our house, so like 50. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it gets like that, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, now this is hell. This material world is hell. Why? Because you've lost contact with uh, the source of sweetness, the source of real true love. You've lost contact with God. A lot of people say, I've had a lot of people tell me, look, nobody knows. Nobody knows. I've had people that tell me that have gone to church all their life tell me nobody really knows. You can have faith and you can believe, but you nobody really knows about God. You see. So I disagree with that. You can find God. You can, trust me. And uh and you should. You should find him. He wants you to find him. He's not hiding. Trust me, he is not hiding. He's not avoiding you. Why would he? And we'll get into that later on. Why? Why would he? So, what's wrong with you? Are you so defective that God is hiding from you? Has pushed you away? No. No, absolutely not. Not in his eyes. Maybe you see this in yourself, but you're wrong. Why? Because God's always right. And he doesn't see any defects. So, um, so that's part of your inner world that you have to change. The way you see yourself. The doubts that you have in yourself are because you identify with a body. And a body is flawed. Why? Because it's, it's, if you're lucky, it's, I've said this before, let me go through this again. Let's say you're really fortunate, you're very lucky, and you're not accident prone, you have quick reflexes, you make uh, really good decisions in life, you have uh, perfect air, you live in a place where the air is perfectly clean, you don't even get that in Hawaii anymore. It's, not bad, though, but it's still not. And then uh, you eat a perfect diet all your life. You get perfect exercise. You get perfect nutrition all of your life. So you sound like a really lucky person. So what do you think you've got to look forward to? Old age. If you live, you get old age. That's not a prize. <laughs> I'm telling you. You know, the older you get, the more frail your body is, the more it slows down and starts to not work. And, you know, every time you go to the doctor, it's something new. 
what's wrong now? Oh, gosh. You know, so um, as soon as you identify with this mortal body, then you are going to be in anxiety. You're full of faults. There's some certain things you can't remember. There's so much you know you don't know. We'll admit there's so much we don't know. So that means not knowing is ignorant. So I'm frail, I'm aging, I'm ignorant. So you see, as long as I identify with this body, I'm imposing on, my, on me the soul, not the body, the soul, because I am the soul, I'm not the body. So I'm imposing all the weaknesses of the body on me. Because I look in the mirror and I think I'm seeing me. And sometimes I don't like what I see. You see what I mean? So just see what I did to me. I'm believing that I am this body. And then I have to face the fact that if I am this body, I am going to die. You see? I mean, that's a guarantee. The death rate is still 100%. Last I checked, anyway, let's, unless they have a prescription drug for it, you know, death is going to come. So we have to, we have to change our inner world uh, by seeing who you are. And that means you have to see what you're not. You are not this body. You are a soul. So I ask people all the time, do you believe you have a soul? And they'll say, yeah. Then I'll say, okay, who is this you that has a soul? Who and what is you if you have a soul? That's like I, I have a cup of tea. You know, I have a car and I have a soul. So I, my body, I'm thinking the soul is something else, you know? And we do that all the time. It's a knee-jerk reaction because we identify with the body. So we need to get over that. If you get over that, trust me, all of your problems are solved. All of your problems. Because if I can identify as an eternal soul, eternal meaning some de definitions of eternal are different. With us, we mean in our philosophy, the soul is eternal going both ways. You always have been, and you always will be. It's not that you came into existence and you're going to go forever. It's not the nature of things that are eternal. Eternal things are eternal. Always have been, always will be. Temporary things have a beginning and an end. You see? So you, the soul, and your person, personality, your true personality, are eternal. But you can't access your true personality right now because you're identifying uh, with a body. Does that make any sense? So, okay, I'm, I'm a human, and I'm an earthling, and I live in America. I'm an American. I'm an Arizonan. Uh, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a male, I'm a female, I'm, I'm, but you're not your body, so you're none of those. 
you know, this reducing yourself to thinking, I am, I am a part of any particular uh, party, uh, political party, to think that you are, is just wrong. There's something much greater about you than identifying with this or that. And there's, there are beliefs much higher than voting for this one or that one or, you know, that is low-class thinking. We talked about deep thinking. This is shallow thinking. You know, yes, it is. So, you know, so what does Krishna say uh, in Bhagavad Gita? In the 17th chapter, 14th verse, by the way, can we get them? Can we get them Bhagavad Gita's? Yeah. Can we, would you accept a Bhagavad Gita if we give you one? I already have one. Well, we're not going to give you another one. Who would like a Bhagavad Gita? I, I have one. Yeah. 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 17th chapter, 14th verse. This, these are austerities of the body. Krishna says, austerity of the body consists in worship of the Supreme Lord, the Brahmins, and the spiritual master, and the superiors, like father and mother, and in cleanliness, simplicity, celibacy, and nonviolence. Did he say celibacy? <laughs> Sometimes the room gets real quiet when you say that word. So, I mean, Krishna said it. I couldn't leave it out. So let me explain what we're talking about. Krishna says, uh, austerity of the body consists of worship of the Supreme Lord. That's kind of austere. I don't want to do that. Well, there's so many things I'd rather do on Sunday or Saturday if you're Jewish or whenever. Whenever they're all getting together, I can find a million things that I'd rather do. So it's kind of an austerity to pry yourself away from material things and get engrossed in spiritual thought. See, so uh, worship of the Lord, Krishna says. Of the Brahmins, those are priests, saintly teachers who are godlike, the ones who broadcast uh, the words of God. Worship of the spiritual master, your guru. You should have a guru. Uh, you, don't, you shouldn't, uh, and you don't have to go it on your own. Uh, if you do, you'll just have a tendency to speculate. And superiors, like father and mother. You should have some deep respect for your father and your mother. Even if you may think, well, you know, their character wasn't so good. And they, they weren't really good people. We should still have deep respect for them. You see? I had a really bad childhood, so I, I'm not saying, you know, it's not like I had the greatest <laughs> upbringing in the world, you know, and we're not going to get into my story, but, you know, it would make you, if I told it to you, you would make an ugly face, like you're smelling something bad, you know? So, but uh, I still have deep respect for my parents. You see, not as high a respect that I, as I have for my spiritual teachers. 
and not as high respect as I have for my guru, but definite, definite respect. So Krishna says you should have this. Um, another austerity he's talking about is cleanliness. Cleanliness inside and out. You should bathe regularly. There are some people now saying, well, you know, you don't have to wash the human body except once a week or once a month. You know, how they get into this, I don't know. It's very, uh, scientifically, it's wrong. It may be true if you're camping out in the woods or something like that, you know, for a month. I mean, I don't know. I can't get into it. But as you, especially as you get older, it's necessary to bathe the body. Uh, because of secretions in the skin of the body from the lymph glands. They put off things that don't smell so nice. You know, this is a fact, you know, that old people smell. They, you know, so you got to bathe or you walk around stinky all the time. So Krishna says, an austerity of the body. Gee was I'd rather watch TV. Take a bath, okay? Please. <laughs> Simplicity. Be simple. Don't try to be so complicated. Sometimes we find people that are trying so hard to be complicated because I want you to see me as complicated. You see, to think I'm something special. People are not attracted to that. People are attracted to simplicity. Simplicity is very beautiful. You see, uh, when someone is trying to be complicated, they're trying to as they say, put on airs. You ever heard that term? Do they still use that? I'm trying to be sophisticated. So uh, that's that term sophisticated comes from, the, I think he was Greek, Greek philosopher Sophocles. And his whole philosophy was that no matter how wealthy because he's associated with the hobnob and hobnob with the wealthy and the upper class in Greece, you know, uh, the royal royalty and the wealthy. And so what he observed is that no, no matter how wealthy someone was or how high they got in society, they always pretended to be a little bit more wealthy and a little bit higher in society. And so Sophocles called them, um, pretenders, you know, and so his philosophy. So through the years, uh, in the beginning, people, when, if they called you sophisticated, from Sophocles, it was not a compliment. It meant you're just putting on airs. Through the centuries, it turned around, as many words uh, have done, and I'm not going to go on to all of them, but it, so now you can say, oh, he's very sophisticated. Oh, really? Can't wait to meet him, you know? Whereas used to the she was another sophisticated oh my god the world does not need another one of those so be simple don't try to be something that you're not we try to be something that we're not because we don't realize the value of just exactly who and what you are because I see deficiencies in this body and my the knowledge that I have that has to do with this body. So I feel like I have to um, try to pretend to be something I'm not. Um, celibacy. Wow, that's a toughie, isn't it? Who wants to go there? What does this mean? 
Uh, first of all, uh, celibacy, the way Krishna is talking about it here, means to have controlled sex life. Animals have uncontrolled sex life. Actually, some animals have a controlled sex life. You know, they do. They, they are monogamous. They only mate with one. You know, there's a few wolves. <coughs> you know, I learned that in Alaska. The wolves don't date around, you know. Hummingbirds. Um, uh, hummingbirds, ducks, certain things. Uh, the Hamsa, the Hamsa uh, swan. So, I mean, there's many. There's many, many. So, uh, you want to have sex? Mate. Get married. Take one. You know, so um, that's that's celibacy. Celibacy can be taken even further if you want to elevate your consciousness further for uh, sex for procreation. In other words, don't make it the highest joy in life because it really isn't. You see, if you think that you are your body then there you are thinking, well, the highest enjoyment that I can get is sexual enjoyment, sexual gratification, genitalic ecstasy. <laughs> you see, if you can get self-realization into knowing that exactly who and what you are, then you find that there are pleasures billions of times greater than mundane sex. You know, this is this, this conversation I like to have with uh, my Christian friends. When you go to heaven, do you think you're going to have a really great sex life? And I get mixed answers and they look at me kind of funny, you know, like, well, you know. <laughs> so in other words, is that what you're looking for? You know, so you don't want to go to heaven because it's a great neighborhood. <laughs> you know, most beautiful streets I've ever seen. You know, fabulous weather, great sex. You know, unlimited channels on the on the TV. You know, fabulous golf courses. Oh, you wouldn't believe. So, what's in heaven that's so great? The source of heaven is the source of pleasure, God, whatever name you want to call him. Uh, that's, the, that's the real value. You want some pleasure that comes that may be downstream from the source? What kind of pleasure can come from the source of pleasure? You see, the very source of pleasure. We can't, uh, we can't compare that. To any kind of pleasure with our body. It's just not. You, the soul, are capable, if you can get off the bodily consciousness, of enjoying on an incredibly high level, just from uh, changing your inner world of how you see yourself and how you deal with yourself. Um, and nonviolence, Ahimsa. When I change the way you think, be nonviolent. That doesn't mean, well, I'm nonviolent because I never kick dogs. You know, I never, I would never shoot anybody. 
but I'll talk really mean and mad and nasty about this guy or that guy, you know. No, that's violence. When I see the violence in America right now, I go, I get out of the country and I can see different places. America is a very violent place, not just in, uh, trust me, firearms is the least of our problems. It's the, the uh, shots coming out of the mouths towards other people. You see, it didn't used to be what one of the values of living a long time. I'm over 70, so I've been here a long time. One of the one of the values is you can look back on history. And at one point in my life, we didn't used to do this to each other in America. We didn't. You know, it's just so that's it's kind of it's very sickening to see my fellow countrymen so violent you know speaking towards one another just because i disagree with your political views or your whatever kind of views you know that i can say anything about you especially in people that are elected to public office and we tolerate it and vote for them again you know so it's tremendous violence verbal violence it's the next thing to Lay it into you, you know, because words can hurt, you see, but people are getting hardened, you know, the more uh, of this verbal violence that's thrown around, the tougher and harder uh, calloused that we're, we're getting as a people. Uh, I find that a little disturbing. So be nonviolent. Don't think it. Don't say it and don't do it. It's not enough just to say, well, I don't. I don't punch people out. Or I don't throw stones at anybody. I don't kick dogs. You know, I don't even think about it. And I don't say anything violent because that disturbs. If you say it, you're thinking it and it disturbs you. And it also puts you a step closer to being able to do it see people at uh, political rallies, it's like they're a heartbeat away from turning over cars. You know, I mean, we've seen that, you know, in our country. That used to, <laughs> used to didn't happen in America. Bhagavad Gita, 17th chapter, 15th verse, Krishna continues. Austerities of speech, Krishna says, austerity of speech consists in speaking words that are truthful, pleasing, beneficial, and not agitating to others, and also in regular reciting Vedic literature. Scripture, talk about scripture. So, uh, what's he saying here? <clears throat> One should not speak in such a way to agitate the minds of others. Of course, uh, Krishna Prabhupada goes on to say that if a teacher is speaking on a subject, he may have to tell you things that, that you may not want. You may have to sit there and listen. So the teacher doesn't have to say, well, I don't want to agitate you. And I'm going to tell you, read chapters 10 through 20 tonight. And you see, the teacher has to teach you. So that doesn't apply. But as you speak, it's part of not being um, uh, violent. 
don't say things that agitate people. But what if they've said something that agitates me? Still, it's part of being simplistic, simple. You may be trying to um, offend me on purpose. And that's okay. Go ahead. You're entitled to your opinion. This is America. You are entitled to your opinion. There are some countries, trust me on this, where you're not entitled to your opinion. Unless you keep it to yourself, you're just not. But in America, pretty much, well, at least it used to be, you know. So you're entitled to your opinion. You have an opinion about me that belongs to you. I'm not the thought police. I'm not the opinion police. You know, so whatever your opinion may be, that's yours. That's okay. I know who I am. I know what I am. And I know my relationship with God. And if you think something bad uh, about me, uh, more than likely you're probably right. But I'm a work in progress, and I've come a long way, I think. I have a long way to go. But I can tell that I'm on the path, and Krishna's given me a great deal of help. You see? So I'm not the slightest bit concerned. Now, that works against me sometimes, because a lot of people expect you to be uh, a little on guard. You know, I say something, I disagree, they expect you. But I don't, you know, I mean, I don't really care. And sometimes people sense that as, well, you're just insensitive. You know, I'm saying something really nasty about you and you don't care. So you're insensitive. You know, how do you win? So you want me to get, become sensitive become offended, and start throwing it back at you. I'm sorry, I don't play that game. You want to play catch with a baseball, maybe, or a football, but I don't want to play catch with insults. I'm just not going to go there. I don't want to insult anybody. Krishna says to speak words that are not agitating to other people. Even I mean, what he didn't say, even if they say them to you. You know, the old... Well, she hit me first. You know, that doesn't work. Why did you hit her? She hit me first. <laughs> I don't know how many millions of times I heard that. That's not an excuse. I don't know how many millions of times I said that. It's not an excuse. You can stop, you can stop the violence. Now, if someone is going to cause bodily harm, then you should defend yourself. You really should, for the benefit of others, you should defend yourself. And you shouldn't lament because you have to. That's your duty. But until it comes to that, don't be defensive. That's a weakness. It's a weakness to be defensive, to argue for yourself. Now, society sees that just opposite. It's a strength to be able to argue. No, don't. I don't need a defense. So therefore, why should I be defensive? I don't need a defense. You have an opinion and you make accusations, then okay. 
you know. If you would, let me know when you're finished, <laughs> when you get it out of your system. So one should not speak in such a way to agitate the minds of others. That's changing your inner world. Even if they've done it to you, don't become agitated. In yoga, there's a, uh, I can't remember the Sanskrit word, but um, we want to become equipoised, equipositioned. It means no peaks and valleys. You know, equipoised. You achieve peace. Shanti. Peace. Which is better than sometimes really great and sometimes really bad. You know, slice off the peaks and fill the valleys and have a nice level ride through your life. And therefore, you can't be shaken if somebody starts trying to. So sometimes people will become envious and they'll want to upset you and get you defensive. It's a tactic. We, we can see politicians doing it all the time. They try to get the other guy mad so he'll make a fool out of himself. I mean, it's very common in the world, you know. So, but you don't have to go there. You don't have to play the game. Uh, one should not talk nonsense. This is controlling your speech. Don't talk nonsense. It's like um, in America, it's very common for people. Some people are very, I hope I don't offend anybody here, but some people are very um, all wrapped up in uh, trivia. There's even a game I heard of, Trivial Pursuit. So do you know what the definition of trivia is? If you look it up in the dictionary, it means something that's not important. And yet, my mind is just full of it. I know more trivia than you do. Really? You know more nonsense, more unimportant stuff than I do? Am I supposed to be impressed? You know, ask me who led the lead in strikeouts in 1942 in the National League. You know, or... You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing. So why do you talk nonsense? Is it helping you? Does it make you feel good? I'm showing you that I know more nonsense than you know. You know? So, which causes agitation between me and you. See what I mean? I don't want my inner world to be agitated. I want it to be peaceful. Everybody really does want to be peaceful. So don't talk nonsense. How do we avoid talking nonsense? Talk sense. <laughs> what sense? We're talking it right now. You know, talk about God. If you don't know enough about God, learn more. He's the sweetest thing to talk about. The sweetest subject. You see, we all want to know more about him. We all want to have him closer. We all really do want to please him. So I'd like to learn how. What can I do? Right here he's saying, you know, don't, don't speak in such a way to agitate people. Okay. I think I can do that. You know, she was. Lord, what else can I do? You see, so I have... Austerities of speech. Be careful what 
you say and how you say it. Try to do good for other people. That doesn't mean that you can't tell the truth, you see. Sometimes the truth might be agitating. Depending on how much you care for the person, sometimes you may have to tell them, let's say, they call it the bitter truth. You know, like, what do they, they have? What do they call that when they have the, oh, an intervention? Like when somebody's strung out on drugs. You know, that's not a pleasant thing for the person who's strung out, nor for the people who are intervening. But out of love, they get this person and they say, look, you know, you're killing yourself. Or you've got a gambling thing or whatever. Because I care for you, I'm going to take a chance that you're going to be angry and upset with me. I'm going to tell you something because I love you. I want to help you, you see. So uh, be truthful. Um, at the same time, such talk uh, should be very pleasurable to the ear. When you're talking about God, you notice it's very pleasurable to the ear. If I'm talking about God and it's not very pleasurable to the ear, guess what? I'm not talking about God. Do the math, okay? The source of pleasure, the most divine, sweet entity, your dear most friend and ever well-wisher, if talk about him isn't pleasing, pleasure to the ear, that I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about something else. You see? I mean, duh. No, talking about the source of pleasure should be pleasurable. You know, God is not the discipline disciplinarian. Is that is that right? That people say. He gives you complete free will. Now, attached to free will, there is this thing called karma, which means, as they say in the Bible, as you sow, so shall you reap. As you do, you will receive. What goes around comes around. Or as science says, for act, every action, there's an equivalent opposite reaction. Sir Isaac Newton. So this law of karma is right in our face in this, in this world. So uh, Krishna gives you free will, do as you like. But there are consequences to doing as you like, you see. If you're untruthful to people, people will be untruthful to you. If you're violent, you will receive violence. He who lives by the sword shall die by the sword. We've heard this, we know this, this is a law. We know it, you see, so. Does that make any sense? So, when you're speaking about Krishna, if you actually know something about God, then what you say will be pleasing to others. Because he's a really pleasing fellow. All right. I think I'm going to hit it. I think I'm going to be on time. If I'm not on time, I have to listen to a lot of sundries now. <laughs> okay, in the very next verse, Krishna says, this is the 17th chapter, 16th verse, these are austerities of the mind. 
and, Krishna says, and satisfaction, simplicity, he says that twice, gravity, self-control, and purification of one's existence are the austerities of the mind. Yeah. You have to have a discipline with your mind. Uh, to make the mind austere is to detach it from sense gratification. Uh, if I am this body, then I enjoy through five channels. Taste, smell, sight, hearing, touch. So that's the only way I can enjoy through those through my senses. If I am this body. If I'm not this body, now I have unlimited uh, means of pleasure, of, of perceiving and receiving pleasure. If I am this body, I have those five channels. So what I can eat, you know, to taste, what I can smell, what I can see, you see, those things, uh, I have uh, those five senses plus the sixth sense, which is the mind. And the mind uh, observes. It deciphers and deals with what the senses send in. It's like you may be someplace and all of a sudden your nose says, wow, you know, this aroma comes in. The mind says, whoa, pizza. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Nose. Pizza. You know, now the tongue gets kind of agitated. See, we start to drool, you know, pizza. So, uh, but you may sometimes have to say, No, look, you can't have pizza, you fool. <laughs> I know it smells good and I know it would taste good, but you can't do this. You're gonna die. Remember what the doctor said? Remember what the doctor in Mumbai told you? No more, you know. Not that you can never, can, I can have it once in a while, but uh, you see what I mean? So the mind has to take this information fed to it by the senses and deal with it, you see. It has to decipher and make a decision. All right, now I'm perceiving something, what shall I do? And if you can get your mind uh, strong, then you can control and tell the senses, no, we're not going to have pizza. What else you got? All right, quinoa, <laughs> or whatever, you know, not that quinoa's bad. So uh, you have to detach yourself from the, from the senses. That doesn't mean that you don't get to enjoy pizza or enjoy your senses. You get to enjoy smelling nice things, seeing beautiful things. We all want to see beautiful things. Smell, touch, see, hear. We want to hear beautiful music, you see. But those aren't our only uh, avenues for enjoyment. It should be, uh, our mind should be so trained that it can always be thinking of doing good for others. The best training for the mind is gravity and thought. What does that mean? It's a little bit of a seriousness. It doesn't mean that you don't have fun. 
our nature to laugh and enjoy comes from God himself. When we read of Krishna's pastimes, one thing he really likes to do is joke. He loves a good laugh. I mean, if you were God, wouldn't you want to laugh? Can you imagine Krishna as a stand-up comedian? <laughs> Knock them out, you know? <laughs> a priest and a rabbi go into a bar. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, no, it's, it's part of your nature because you are part and parcel of this supreme entity we call God. You have his DNA. You take after him. You have his attributes. You are very much, very, very much just like him. You are part and parcel of him. Unless you just kind of appeared from nowhere. Everything comes from the Supreme, so therefore, so do you. So you are part and parcel of him. So. But gravity doesn't mean to never laugh. Gravity means to uh, deal with the reality, deal with truth. You see, you can be funny and, and laugh and still deal with truth. You see, be grave. It doesn't mean the way it's described by a lot of people or understood by a lot of people to be grave. You know like somebody at a funeral. You know, it doesn't mean that. You see, self-disciplined. We don't like discipline, but it's really good for you. And self-discipline is easier to administer than receiving it from others. You see, self-discipline equals success in whatever it is you're trying to do like a Navy SEAL, they have a lot of self-discipline. Did you have a question? Um, I think nowadays people call when you say grave, like you mean grounded. 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 Yeah, that's a better, yeah. That's uh, it fits today better. Being grounded. Stay grounded. Stay out of the pie in the sky. You know? Some people feel that it's pleasure if I can live in the pie in the sky. Why? Because I have a hard time dealing with reality. Solution, instead of going pie in the sky, get a grasp of, re of reality. Reality is a lot more fun than pie, pie in the sky, you know? But you have to find reality and learn how to deal with reality, not hide from it. You don't have to hide from reality. Reality good. Reality friend. You, know? you want truth, don't you? I mean, don't you want people when they're telling you something to tell you the truth? I mean, we get offended and upset if they don't. So we like reality. But sometimes we try to back off and hide from it and go into high in the sky. We become ungrounded. Um, all right, so I'm going to stop here. And can you collect the, the notes?
And I'll discuss those while you guys are eating. The best course to stay grounded is to think and talk about spiritual subjects. Not just once in a while, you think about it all the time. It's not so hard. It's really not. It just takes some self-discipline and some practice. It's a much more pleasurable uh, experience than to deal in the mundane. How do we do that? I like talking about Krishna, his pastimes, his nature, his mood. I think I find that very enjoyable. Quoting from scripture. Scriptures are not boring. If, if you have a scripture that you find boring, find one that's not. Because if it has to do with the, the all-wonderful, beautiful God, it's going to be great. Really, you know, this is, yeah. Uh, I, just, I had this moment coming to Krishna consciousness where kind of based on what you were talking about, like everything that I had invested in or found really important in my life, I was like, wow, this, this actually is not so important. And so I had this kind of feeling of like no man's land, I guess. Like all this, like what? Like all this stuff has been related to it's not really important for me. It's like this, um, like cognitive dissonance, like thinking like it had to have been important. Like I invested so much effort yeah. into it. Like, I put so much time and thought. This, this wasn't that important. <laughs> yeah. So I was just was reminding was... me of like what you're saying is like you need to fill in that gap. There's like so many things that we put into our lives that we take and be so important. When you come to spiritual life, you realize. Like the trivia or like the own body or like all this stuff. Or wealth. You know, do you think wealthy people? I mean, I know several wealthy people. I know several people who are mega, mega wealthy, like billionaires. So let me tell you, wealthy people are not any happier than your average guy. They just have cooler stuff. But that gets old, having stuff. It's really great when you first start having stuff. There's a difference between wealthy people. There's the new rich, the people who just got, you know, they, they just made it. And there's people who were born rich, they're in, inherited, you know. So the people that are born rich, they're a little bored with stuff. And the new rich, well, they're trying to enjoy it. Now I can afford a boat and a motorcycle, two motorcycles, and I can do this and I can go there. And after some time, they slow down and start to drink, you know, because the thinking is that for me, for, for the resources that I have to enjoy wealth, if I have more money, if I have more money than you, I should be enjoying more than you. Isn't that my right? What I inherited this or I worked for? You don't have a right to be more happy than me. I have millions of times more reasons to be happy than you. So cut it out. 
You see what I mean? It, this is true. I'm not making this up. I get this from people that I counsel that are, you know, mega. And that's one thing uh, they realize. If I get more stuff, I'm not going to be any happier. So how come I'm not happy? Damn it. Sometimes the story is, I've got fame. I've got fame. Everybody knows me. Everybody knows me in different countries. They know my face. They know my music. I've got money. I've got fame, profit. I'm adored by people I don't even know that I've never met. I never will met, but they adore me. I've got distinction. Nobody's done what I've done. So fame, profit, adoration, and distinction don't equal happiness. It doesn't. Happiness comes from your inner world. How do you deal with yourself and those around you? And if you happen to have a lot of money, that could help. But that's all it is, is a help. It's just a help if you want to use it properly. All right, let's get into this. Uh, what change would like to see in the world? Interact, interacting with love and not fear. More external calmness. Yes, I agree. This is, we want to interact with love and not fear. More external calmness. Yes, Shanti, we all want peace. It's the nature of the soul. When you're not agitated by the material world, to be peaceful, you see. You, the eternal soul, can't understand this unpeaceful thing that you're feeling. Therefore, it's agitating, you see. Typically, when, when I feel unpeaceful, I need somebody to blame. Why it's the, I think it's because of the, what do they call it? The income disparagement, the difference between the separation of the rich and the not rich. What do they call that? Disparity. Disparity. Income disparity. That is hogwash. Do you think there's ever been a time on this planet that there wasn't a disparity between those who are rich and those who are not rich? I mean, did we all sleep through history? I think history is incredibly interesting. There's a lot of talk about that now. There were all, there's always been, always, always been kings and lords and and peasants, there always has been. So now, here we are saying, um, well, there's an income disparity. That's why I'm not happy. He's got so much money and I don't. Are you even listening to yourself? He's rich and you think he's happy, but he's not happy. Suicide rate is higher amongst famous and wealthy people than it is amongst us. That's a fact. You know, Robin Williams, 
guy had done it all. 63 years old, famous all over the world. Everybody loved him, rich, accomplished. He's so distinguished. And he couldn't go on with his life. You see? So what am I saying when I say there's a disparity between my income and somebody else's? I want some of it. Give me some of that. You know. To heck with something called karma. If my karma was to be rich, it's gonna happen, you know. If it's not, then it ain't, no matter what I do. Maybe I'll do such pious activities that in the next lifetime, oh, I'll be rich and unhappy. You see what I mean? It's a reason for me to misbehave. So those guys have all the money. I'm telling you, go through history. On this planet, it has always been that way. And you want to know something? It always will be. There are people who either inherit money or achieve. It's like uh, Bill, uh, Bill Gates, the Microsoft guy. He started out in his garage, for crying out loud. I mean, he started out in the garage, and he became rich. I mean, he had some good ideas. He made a lot of great decisions. Smart guy. He didn't have that much going for him. Determination, and he had the karma to be successful. So are we saying that for me to be happy, we need to take some of his money and give it to us. Would that make you feel good? Would that make you feel better? You know, damn you, Bill. You sinful Bill. And if you look around, you find that that story on how people become wealthy starts out like that a lot. They started in a, in a garage. You know. Them and their, they borrow money from their wife's parents or from his parents, and they start a business. And the next thing you know, they go public, and they're rich. And now we got we got people saying, "Well, I think we ought to take some of his money." Or if you make over ten million dollars, I get seventy. The, the government gets seventy percent of it because we don't need this disparity to be. So if I want to change the disparity between your wealth and my poverty, why are we taking it and giving it to the government? Does anybody see this aside from me? The politician says, I know what we can do. We'll put a tax on it, 70% of anything over $10 million. Oh, well, gee whiz, Mr. Politician, who gets the tax? Why, I do. Oh, that's going to help me? I can see the logic in that. So this is the kind of world we're in. Nonsense. Trickery. Cheating. Uh, what change do I want to see in myself? More internal stillness. Yeah. Shanti. Peace. I want to, I want to get some peace. This is one of the things uh, that people will turn to God for. Typically, people turn to God for wealth, you know, help me pass this test, 
Um, help me find a, a, a beautiful mate. Uh, give me good health. Give me a better job. You know, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Give me daily bread. Just give me. So, now that's pious. That's pious. It's not very loving. You know, it's always saying, hey, God, give me. So that's one reason people turn to God, because I want, I'll be pious and I'll get a pious reward. I'll throw some money in the hat, you know, in the plate when it goes by, and I'll get my reward in heaven. So I'll give and I'll get. That's fruit of activity. It's not very loving, but it is pious. I don't want to be, it means you believe in God and you trust God. If I do good stuff to, for God, then God will do good stuff for me. That's doing business with God, you see. Uh, some people turn to God because they want peace in their life. You see, these are more spiritual. You know, I want to I want to become peaceful. I'm not asking for anything, my Lord, except for for you to bring some peace into my life. Show me how I can do that. In other words, I'm willing to change my life to get peaceful. Uh, if you're just asking for wealth from God, like I say, that's pious. But I'm not looking to change my life. I just want to get rich. And my dear God, I know you've got a really fat wallet. You, know? <laughs> you can give it and it won't, you won't miss it. So come on. So, yeah. Number two, acting out of love and not of, out of fear towards self and others. Can I become perfect? I still don't know. Honest. Honest answers. This is good. Um, acceptance of ourselves and each other. I don't know if that's a continuation, but I agree with that. Um, one, I honestly just want to see everyone love each other and themselves. I don't read very well. I don't have very good vision. Well-foundingly, I think. And I wish to be, I wish to see people recognize their own infinite potential to be good. That's a bingo, yeah. We want to, so how do, we, this is what we want. Now, what is the process to get there? You have to get off the bodily conception. Otherwise, I'm going to immediately see differences, no matter who I'm with. I'm old, you're young, you're handsome, I'm not. You're smart, I'm not. You're wealthy, I'm poor. You're black, I'm white. You're this, you're, I'm that, blah, blah, blah. If we're on the bodily situation, there's always going to be these tremendous uh, differences between us. So we have to, how do we take those away to see that we're all part and parcel of God? That doesn't mean that we all merge together into this big soup or into something and just become God. That's foolish. 
You cannot become God. If that's what you want to become God, you're going to have to get over that because you're not going to do it. You are his love, beloved part and parcel. And there's only one reason that you exist. Because you enhance his ecstasy. When he sees you, he sees something very beautiful. He doesn't see this body. You actually have a form, a spiritual form. It's not just like a, an electric thing, whatever. No, you have a spiritual appearance. And when the Supreme sees you, He's enchanted by your beauty. Why would he make you anything but tremendously beauty, beautiful? He has to look at you for eternity, for crying out loud. Well, you're charming, knowledgeable. Why would he want dumb dummies around him? Can you imagine the conversations that you can have with the Supreme? If you can realize yourself, your true self, if you could just get a glimpse of what is it that he sees when he looks at you. This beautiful, charming entity, his beloved. He is totally, eternally, internally and externally attached to you. I mean, we're talking love that we've never experienced on the bodily conception. He loves you. And so there are innumerable living entities, innumerable souls. You can't count them. And he has a close, loving, personal relationship with each and every one of them. That enhances his ecstasy. Now, God is complete within himself. He's the complete whole. He's the source of everything, the source of ecstasy. So he doesn't need us to be perfectly ecstatic. But we enhance his ecstasy because we're, we can share his ecstasy. If you're ecstatic, wouldn't you like to share it with someone? If, if you're really happy, wouldn't you like to project that onto someone you love? And you see them happy because of your happiness? That makes you even happier. It's better than just being out in the middle of the desert being happy as hell, you know, just, oh, God, I'm happy. Oh, yippee! You know, would it, if you had somebody there that you love, and by that experience, they become extremely happy too. It enhances your happiness. Therefore, you exist. And there's not another reason. There is nothing else. You exist to enhance the ecstasy of the Supreme which means you're empowered to do so. You have absolutely uh, no shortcomings. If you can get to the point of finding yourself, if you find yourself, oh, you're gonna love yourself, and then you're gonna get over loving yourself. You'll be fine with yourself and exchange ecstasy with the Supreme. That's your only purpose. Unless you want to do something other than that. Therefore, we come to this material world and try to enjoy it on our own. And that's okay. Is that a sin? No. You're doing something sinful to yourself by coming here and 
trying to look for ecstasy, happiness, away from the source. Perhaps out of enviousness or just wanting to do it on your own. That's okay. So think of this trip through the, the material world as an experiment gone wrong. Gee whiz, Krishna. You know, you're the center of attention. Everybody loves you. Everybody's attracted to you. I wonder if I could get away from you and I could be the center of attention. You know? Because to me, I'm number one. It used to be you, but I'm starting to think that I'm pretty special. So, you know, it's like I said, I've said this a thousand times. If we take a picture of this group, and we pass the picture around, who's the first person you're going to look for? Yourself. <laughs> Good old numero uno. Yeah. <laughs> you see, we're, we're fixed on ourselves. And yet we want to be good to everybody. No, no, put everybody else first. When you learn to love yourself, then and then only can you put everybody else first. If I'm not fully sold on me, then i got to strive to be something that I think I'm not, you see. I gotta work hard at it. Once I get that self-realization, that self-satisfaction, then I know I'm okay. I have an idea of what Krishna sees when he looks at me. I'm empowered by him to give pleasure to him. If I can give pleasure to the Supreme God, I can give pleasure to you. You see? So you you put everybody you can put everybody else first. When you get this thing between you and you over with, the struggle for you to establish yourself. When you find yourself, you don't have to establish yourself. You may go on and, and, and become wealthy. That won't change you. You'll use your money for beneficial purposes. Or you may not become wealthy. That's okay, too. You don't have to be wealthy to put everyone else first. Just means you can't buy them stuff, you know. <laughs> or you can't buy them as much. Uh, within myself, I would like to see patience, understanding, and mindfulness grow. Yeah. See, this is what we want. These are the things that we want. We need... Uh, methodology to achieve this. Who, who's giving you the roadmap? So this is like you're dealing with Google. You know Google Maps? You've put down where you want to go. So now Google will give you a, a route to get there, right? If you put down, you know, I want to go to Govindas in Google Maps, Google will get from where you are, will give you a path to go. So but before you can find a path, you've got to figure out what it is you want, where you want to go. And if you look inside yourself, and you should more often than you probably do, then uh, you'll be able to see the path when you stumble across it. I need self-realization. This is, that's what this is saying. I want to realize me. And you do, and you should, you deserve it. Because if Krishna thinks you're great, what are you gonna think? I mean, his taste is pretty good, you know. He's kind of a 
picky guy. And if he thinks you're fabulous, what are you going to think of yourself? But that doesn't mean you're going to walk around thinking, I am fabulous. No, you're going to get over yourself real quick. And you can focus on everyone else because you're okay. Not just kind of okay or I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm okay. You know in your soul you're fine. You're immortal. You're, you're an eternal soul. You're an eternal part and parcel of the source of love. You see? Um, another one. To, to the human perception, no, yeah. I can't become perfect to the human conception. True. If you remain in the bodily consciousness, you cannot be the body cannot be perfect. Why? Because it's deteriorating right in front of our eyes. It's happening very slowly. What's the perfection in that? The soul. Huh? Your soul, as you get older and your body deteriorates, your soul increases. Yeah, the, but the body itself is imperfect. Right. The soul is always perfect. The soul cannot become contaminated. But your consciousness can be. Your consciousness, but you are cent percent perfect. You cannot be contaminated in any way. You're part and parcel of God. You're like a tiny little piece of him. So you have all the power that he has, but in a tiny bit compared to him. He's the complete whole, you see. You're just exactly a piece of him. So there's no contamination. The difference is you're part of his marginal energy in that when you come in contact with the material energy, you can become confused by it and actually start to identify with it which makes you incredibly interesting to him. What will you do when you come in, when you leave me and go in, and get in contact with the material energy, how will you react? Birth after birth. You're, you're incredibly interesting to him. These are fabulous answers. Where did you get these guys? They're better than the... They're better than usual. <laughs> well, good. No, we usually have some pretty good thinkers, but you guys are good. Uh, changing the world. On a way of the ecstatic love of God. Uh, destroying the root of negativity. Yeah. If you can learn to love God, even learn to love him a little bit, then you can learn to love everyone else unconditionally you know in other words I want to be able to learn to love you regardless of who you vote for regardless of what nationality you are but to do that I'm going to have to identify as me as a soul and you as a soul then we are all soul mates on the soul level, we are soul mates. There's no possibility of having a soul mate on the bodily conception. 
if I know all my body and you know your your body, but we're not because a soulmate is an eternal relationship. It's not a temporary thing. See, we know that this exists because we talk about it. But for me to have an eternal relationship with someone, I'm going to have to have an, an eternal relationship with someone who is eternal. You know, when you get a certain, after a certain number of years of, of living in this material world, you see a lot of people die. A lot of the people that I was partying with in the 60s are gone. They're long gone. You see, you see people die. So these bodies are not eternal. The, uh, we the souls, we are eternal. Uh, changing myself, more affection, more affection, attachment, and surrender. Love to Guru Krishna and his parts and parcels. Very good. Hey Max, are you gonna play tonight? I was hoping you were. Right, Sundry. Is Max gonna play tonight? It, if she says you gotta play, you have to play, because you know she's. She's the boss. Yes, he definitely has to play. Did Rada Sundry tell you to say that? <laughs> Just because you're the boss doesn't mean you're a monster. She doesn't make a decision we have to. <laughs> Should I continue with these? What do you think? I'd like to hear about Yeah. How many more do you have? 30 or 40. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, change in the world. More consciousness, a more conscious relationship with. Uh, I, did, I can't make out this other word. What does that say? Environment? Environment? I think so. Oh, I think it is. Conscious relationship with your environment. Uh, well, until we purify the consciousness of the world, then uh, conscious relationship, the only conscious relationship that is going to exist is the same one that's always existed. How can we exploit the resources of our environment, of our planet, for my profit? And that's always been that way. It has been on a smaller scale, but it's growing. It's always been, uh, again, look at history. How many wars have been fought 
from resources. You know, as the population grows, resources will become more and more scarce. So there's got to be more exploit exploitation. You see. So the consciousness, uh, a conscious relationship with the environment. Uh, sometimes people ask me, do you guys, the Hare Krishnas, do you believe in uh, working hard to preserve the environment? Well, yes and no. If you change your consciousness, that's part of what you get. But we don't focus on just that. You see what I mean? In other words, we don't focus, I don't focus on anybody's rights. I don't focus on women's rights, children's rights, animals' rights. I focus on the rights of all living entities. That includes them all. Human beings, animals, we don't eat animals, we don't wear animals. You see, we don't, we're conscious of uh, the rights of animals and children and women and men and poor people and rich people. They have rights too. You see, we don't demonize anyone. We're all in this, we're all in this trouble together. We're in this bodily consciousness and we need to get the heck out. So that if I can help you come to this uh, spiritual consciousness, Immediately, you're going to be in a very positive relationship with the environment. Why? Because wherever I look, I see Krishna. The mountains, the trees, rivers, the oceans, everything is his energy. And if I recognize his existence in my loving relationship with him, I'm certainly not going to destroy any of his Beautiful creation. Why, he's a fabulous artist. This whole creation is his artwork. If I can learn to love and respect him, then I'm going to learn to love and respect his creation, his artwork. But you're not going to accomplish that without putting him in the equation. Maybe for a little while. Change in the world. <coughs> Be healthier. Physical, mental. Yeah. You need to be healthier mentally. Yeah. No. Yeah, I will. In a minute. What did you make? This is soup with some Oh, good. Is it fun cooking for an old, the old people? <laughs> well, that's good. The young people can eat anything. Old people can only eat. See, this is austerity of the tongue. All it, here's, this stuff always tastes so good. You know? I'm doing this austerity, but I'm enjoying everything of the love you put in it when you cook it, you know? It's just so nice. 
yeah, we want to be healthier physically, uh, but we don't want to be fixated on uh, my physical health. All you have to do is eat a balanced diet. Boy, it always comes back to that. That's not enough for us. We want to break away and do some, but there's there really is a balanced diet for human beings. Now, this balanced diet may be different for you than it is for you, because there's basically three different types of physical makeups. They're called doshas in yoga. Dosha, and the Ayurveda talks about it. Some people have a tendency to be thin. Some people have a tendency to be heavy. Some people have very slow metabolisms. Some people have very active metabolisms. So there isn't a one-size-fits-all for all of us, you see. There are generalities, but there's no one-size-fits-all. So it's a personal thing. What does it take for you to become physically, physically healthy? First and foremost, whatever it is that's good for you to eat, don't eat too much of it. It causes toxins to build up in the body. When toxins build up in the body, then the, the liver and kidneys have to go into overtime to, to cleanse. You see? So don't, don't intoxicate yourself. Boy, that's a, that should be a no-brainer. I don't want toxins in my toxins in my body, so that means, oh, no intoxication. That's why they call it intoxication. You're putting a poison in your body that causes a mental and physical reaction, and I perceive that I'm enjoying this. Although the next tomorrow morning I'm gonna feel like hell and swear that I'll never do it again. You know. <laughs> so First of all, stop putting toxins in. Don't eat too much. And your liver and kidneys, if they're normal, will cleanse. That's what they do. They cleanse. Drink more water. The more water you drink, your liver and kidneys will pass, pass it out. Along with that, toxins will go with it. You see? Get enough there. You know, like that. But don't live for that then you're identifying with your body. That's dangerous. Now you've gone right back into the problem that you had before. Do enough to be healthy. Why do I want to be healthy? Because I want to do more service for my guru and Krishna. That's it. So I don't want to overdo it and I don't want to underdo it. It's a very common thing in people to say overdo. First of all, they realize that they're underdoing and then they overdo. What do they call it? There's this, uh, when we realize we've been doing something wrong, we overdo it to try to equal it out instead of just making it equal to, you know, keeping it there. I forget, there's a... Correction. Yeah, yeah. was it sort of a correction? Yeah, overly correction. There's another... Compensation. Yeah, overcompensate. Instead of, you know, like we've been treating these people badly forever and we haven't treated them equal with us. So how do we do, get over that? Well, we'll treat them better than we treat other, other people. There's a, a word for that. Um, anyway, um, but why can't we just be <laughs> equipoised? Treat everybody nicely, you know? 
So, yeah, so we don't want to overdo it. That gets you back into the bodily conception. We want to get off the bodily conception. Keep it fit. And it's like I don't go out every morning and dust off my car, you know. You check the air in your tires every day. You know, I give my, my car good fuel. I don't pay through the nose for, it's just like uh, in America, uh, there are very few, unless you have a high compression engine, you, you don't need the upper grade. What do they call the upper grade? Premium. Premium. You don't need that. You read the, the owner's manual, very few American cars need anything more than mid-grade. You know, that is a fact. I know a great deal about mechanics, and I know many mechanics, too. So, it's all you need. So, if you say, well, no, it's best if I put the expensive stuff in. Okay, <clears throat> but you're just wasting money, because there are certain standards set in certain cleansers that have to be in gas, in all gas, to keep your car running okay. So you don't have to do that right. You just don't. Just do it right, you see. Uh, yeah. More discipline, yep. Communicate better, more loving, less judgment. Uh, yeah, I agree with all this, except less judgment. I think this is only a conceptual thing, because what is it that we mean by judgment? We're quick to put someone else's fault or doubt or um, things that meet up to our standards and not reflect on that we're the same. Well, we're not the same. We are. Only on the, on the spiritual level. But, I mean, there are some people who will stick a, a gun in your ribs and say, give me your wallet. So am I, am I the same as they are in my behavior? So, but if I say, I think this guy is a, a mugger, am I being judgmental? No, but if you see somebody and you're homeless and you think, oh, I don't want to go over there because that guy's talking to himself and he's really weird, blah, blah, blah. And then you see him get hurt and you stand over here because of your judgment. You're being judgmental. And when you actually get up to that person, it turns out that he's a really nice person and his history needs your love. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can kind of agree with what you're saying, but when I see a homeless person, the only thing is, I don't know his story. I don't know his history. And I, and I don't really know how to help him, except maybe if I can give him a spiritual boost in the arm. Now, if he's really hungry, oh, I've bought people uh, meals before. But I'll tell you what, I, the experience I've had, I try to buy him a meal. I said, well, you just give him the money. And I say, no, no, I'll buy you something to eat. You said you're hungry. Why don't you just give me the money, man? Nah, I'm not going to give you the money. But I'll give you a belly full. There's not too many of those left in here. There's a lot of them. I had a guy in New Orleans that I was talking with like this. This was years ago. I was saying, you know what? And he was saying, let's just give me the money. I said, look, I'll, you've got a sign that says I'm hungry. Please help. I'll, give you, I'll go buy you anything you want. He said, 
man, to be honest with you, just want a beer. There's something like that, but not. We don't know who is it, so we could try to help them all. But I'm not gonna. That doesn't mean I'm judging. I'm not gonna judge them. But judgment. Uh, we make judgments all day, every day. You look out the window and you see, is it hot? How do I dress today? So I may, I pass a judgment. I'm being judgmental on the weather. So what do we mean by this judgmental? The bad thing of judgmentalism is that I think I'm better than you. But we're going to make judgments. We're going to think, wow, what a nice person. Well, you've just been judgmental. If I meet somebody and they're a real jerk and I think, God, oh, what is it? What a jerk. You know, I don't know if I want to associate a whole lot with you. Am I being judgmental? Or should I just be artificially numb? You see, I have to assess who are you? How, how, how can I help you? I have to figure that out. That's not being judgmental. If I start thinking I am better than you, well, then I am judgmental and I'm flawed. I'm completely on the mental platform, material platform, because you're part and parcel of Krishna. So am I. I'm not better than you. You see? Your behavior may not be so good right now. That doesn't mean you're bad. You know, everyone is... Uh, is part and parcel. Should I wrap it up? Okay. You're going to sign us off? Okay. All right, we're signing off. Arrivederci. Are you going to play? Yeah, I don't know. Like, would we like to play now? Can we play? Please. We haven't, we haven't had the pleasure of... We haven't had the pleasure of Mad Max in a long time ago. <laughs> All right. I need to be excused. I'll be right back. I'll eat while you guys are chanting. I can't wait to taste it. It looks good. Your tea was very good. Mm -hmm. Next. Wait one minute for me. I'll be right back. Well, you can start right there. <laughs> I don't want to miss a thing. Damn. You want to plug into that? What kind of cord is this? It's just, let's call it like a cord wrench. It's a hard cord. I didn't bring one. It's alright. It's going to be quiet. You're right here. Right here. I'll get, I'll, actually, what I'll do is.
you have one? Yeah, I got one. Of course. Yeah, that's not really nice. So, we'll make that get possible. So, smooth. Yeah. Maybe one like that. Can I see it? At least consider. I'm <laughs> gonna